All right, what is up, Salt Company? How are we doing tonight? Somebody say something to me. Hey, yes, thank you. Hey, my name is Ronnie. I'm the director of Salt Company. I'm one of the pastors here at Doxa. And a little bit more about me in a minute. What I want you to do actually now is grab your Bible, okay? If you brought a Bible, grab it. If you got a little app on your phone, maybe the person you're sitting next to has one. Guys, this is kind of our thing. What we do on Thursday nights at Salt Company is you don't want to hear me talk. You want to hear God speak to you. And so we open up our Bibles. We teach you from the Bible. We proclaim the truth that is in here. If you don't have a Bible of your own, we actually have some right out those doors to the left on your way out. They're blue. That can be your Bible that you can have. And so we're going to open up to John chapter 1, verses 35 through 51 tonight. John chapter 1, verses 35 through 51. In this semester at Salt Company, we're actually going to be looking for 12 weeks at the life of Jesus in the Gospel of John. Okay, specifically not teaching every verse, but 12 life-changing conversations that Jesus has with all different types of people, right? Men and women, rich and poor, religious people, irreligious people, ethnic majorities, ethnic Minorities, and we're calling this series Conversations with Jesus. Pretty clever, right? Jesus having conversations with people. And today we're actually going to talk about this first conversation he has in John chapter 1 with really a group of friends that leave everything in their lives behind to follow him. And they changed the world because they did that. This is John chapter 1, verses 35 through 51. Read along with me. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and he said, behold, that's the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and he saw them following and he said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and they saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, who was Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and he said to him, hey, we found the Messiah, which means the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. So we have this group of friends, this group of brothers following Jesus together. So Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas which means Peter or the rock. Verse 43, the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee and he found Philip and he said to him, follow me. Now Philip, he was from Bethesda, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip, he found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him who Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, hey, come, and you will see. Now Jesus, he saw Nathanael coming toward him, and he said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, Hey, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Verse 49, Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus said, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So Jesus and a group of friends. That's the conversation we're looking at tonight. And honestly, guys, this text describes my freshman year of college. 
I was a freshman in college about nine, 10 years ago now, 2009, 2010, and listen, the story of my freshman year was it was the year that everything changed in my life because I met Jesus. And it looked a lot like this story. There was something so compelling about him to me and my friends that we left everything behind. We changed our life plans and we decided we were all in, we were gonna follow him. It was amazing. And it didn't always look amazing from the outside. There was actually kind of this like season in the middle of the winter where all this happened. Actually, the guy that was up here before, Rob, that you met, the pastor for Doxa, one of the first guys that kind of pulled me into Christian community and told me about Jesus and challenged me in my life. I had recently uh, tore my ACL at football practice. I was a football player at Bowling Green State University in Ohio. Tore my ACL, I'm kind of on the sidelines. God kind of puts pause on my life. And while I'm rehabbing, I'm, getting, I'm just meeting all of these, these Christians on the basketball team and the hockey team and in this church that was reaching our campus. And so I kind of get pulled in. I get compelled by the gospel. I start to, to follow him, but I'm kind of on crutches, like limping around the campus in the middle of winter. So I remember one particular time, this is just, you picture me as a freshman, I was uh, trying to crutch up the stairs, okay, in like the center of this, uh, this education building. As I'm crutching up the stairs, it's the middle of winter, right, so it's very wet and it's a very crowded stairwell. So just picture me with my backpack, my freshman backpack. I'm crutching up the stairs in, in the wet and what happens to crutches and the rubber when it hits the wet on the ground and you're going up the stairs, you fall flat on your face. And so I fell vertically, like upward on these stairs. And I just did kind of like a, a spread eagle on the middle of the stairs with, a, with like a crowded stairwell though. So everybody's just kind of walking over me. And so what, that was a pretty humiliating, embarrassing moment from my freshman year that I look back on. I was like, oh yeah, that's when I, that was me as a freshman when I hurt my knee. But here's the thing that you need to know about that story is I was on my way to get up those stairs to a Bible study that I was doing with some other guys just like this that had just started to follow Jesus. So as everybody was laughing at me, what they didn't know is my life was changing at that time. My life was changing as, as dumb as I looked on those stairs, like what God was actually doing internally in me would change the course, the trajectory of my life. In this text today, it also describes basically what Salt Company is. I know that a lot, like I don't recognize a lot of your faces and you're probably wondering, what is this group about? Here is, here's who we are, guys, plain and simple. We are a bunch of sinners that have found the Savior. We're just friends that are following Jesus together. We don't have all the answers, but Jesus' invitation of come and see, we're just taking our next step with him. And the only thing that's great about us is him. We're kind of like John the Baptist in this text where he's just like, behold, the Lamb of God. Don't look at me, look at Jesus. And so guys, honestly, that's all that we wanna do tonight is we wanna point you to Jesus and that's what I wanna do. I wanna basically lovingly argue with you why you should follow Jesus for the rest of your life starting tonight, you and all the friends that you have on this campus, okay? So I got three reasons that John gives for why you should follow Jesus for the rest of your life starting tonight. Number one, he is the healing that you are looking for. Jesus is. Jesus is the healing that you are looking for. Uh, guys, there's a lot of like brokenness in our world right now. We've been living through a couple months where there's like literally like there's, there's a sickness called COVID-19, right, spreading across the globe. There are things like racial injustice and riots and protests and just like civil unrest, right? There is tension in the air. It is obvious that our world is hurting, that it is broken, and that it needs healing. It is sick with sin. And everybody is looking for someone or something that's going to heal our broken world. But here's the thing, guys. Even as we protest injustice and evil in our world, sometimes we fail to realize that we actually participate in it. 
And so I remember when I was a freshman in college, what I thought was my private pornography habit, I learned that what I was actually doing in private that I was ashamed of, but I thought no one else knew, was actually fueling an entire industry that enslaves and degrades women. I was actually empowering like the sex trafficking industry with my private pornography habit. And I remember feeling so guilty and so ashamed, I didn't want to tell anyone, instead I was just trying to fix it all on my own. And that's this feeling shame, like it makes us want to hide these things about ourselves to others. Shame is a word to describe like that feeling that you have from your own sin, but also from being sinned against. And, And sexuality is just one of those areas where we tend to carry a ton of guilt and shame as people, whether it's something that we've done, something that we've thought, what we've seen, or what's been done to us. And so I would just ask you to think tonight, like what what is it for you? What is the stain of sin on your life? What is the shame that you carry, that thing that you don't want people to know about, the thing that you try to fix, the thing that you try to, to hide? You know what it is. You know what they are. And with shame, what we try to do is we try to cover it up, right? We try to heal. We try to protect ourselves. So we cover ourselves up with our GPA or with our physical fitness or our loud personality. But guys, it's just a cover. Deep down, we're wounded beyond repair. And it just never seems to go away, this nagging sense of guilt and shame. And so here's the problem. We look at all the injustice and the sin and the sickness that's out there in the world, and we ask God to heal our world We ask God to bring justice, but the problem is he would have to destroy us all because the evil is coming from inside of us. The sin and the injustice that we see marring our world is actually like we're producing it as human beings. So for God to bring justice, he'd actually have to destroy us. And when you realize that, you realize there's really only two options when it comes to this sickness called sin. It's either deny it or desperately look for someone to save you from it. Denial or desperation. And everyone in this room tonight, you're in one of those two places. You're denying your sin. You're putting it off. You're not thinking about it. You're trying to cover it up. Or you're in this place of desperate brokenness. Brokenness for the sin that's in you. Brokenness for the sin that's in the world. And you're desperately crying out like someone or something like save us. Heal our broken world. And that's what these two guys in the text, that's where they found themselves. They were desperate. They had moved from denial to desperation. Look at verse 35 again. It says, the next day again, John, he was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and what did he say? Behold, that's the Lamb of God right there. In verse 29, he says, the Lamb of God who can take away the sins of the world. And so the two disciples heard him say this. Okay, look at their response. It says, that's the Lamb of God? I'm following him. I'm following him. That's the one that we need. Jesus turned and he saw them following him. He said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, where are you staying? When these two men saw Jesus, they saw the healing that they had been looking for their whole lives. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God, the sacrificial Lamb that God would send down to the world to solve our sin problem. Jesus, the Lamb of God. At the cross, Jesus, he brought justice to the world by being condemned for sin. Sin was paid for in him, on his body on the cross, ripped apart. Just punishment for sin and evil at the cross. But then guess what else he did? Forgiveness for sinners. 
Justice for sin, forgiveness for sinners. He took our place. This is the gospel. This is the good news. Christ in your place. Christ in my place. One of my favorite songs says it this way. Bearing shame and scoffing rude in my place, condemned he stood. This is what Jesus did for us. This is what it means for him to be the lamb of God. He stood in your place for your sin. The punishment that you deserve, he took it on himself on the cross. He's the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus, listen to me, he can take away the stain of shame that you carry around. He can take away your sin. He can forgive you once and for all. Once and for all. You don't deserve it. You can't earn it. But you can have it. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So verse 37, the two disciples, they saw this, they heard this, and they followed him. They saw that Jesus is the healing they'd been looking for their whole life, and only he could take away their sin, the sin of the world. Okay, here's the second reason why tonight you should follow Jesus for the rest of your life. Number two, he gives you the identity that you're striving for. It's what he does. It's what he came to do. He came to give you the identity that you are so tirelessly working for. And this point is for me. Oh my gosh, this point is for me, okay? One of the greatest burdens that I shouldn't carry but I carry around in my life is the burden of trying to perform for the world so that I'll matter, so that I'll be somebody. I think my greatest fear is that I would be a failure, that I would be insignificant. And I feel like I constantly have something to prove. Can anyone relate to me on this? Anyone? Yeah. Thank you, Will. Thank you. If you can't relate yet and you're a freshman and you just got here, you will feel this here in Madison. You're going to feel this. Performing tirelessly for people, whether it's school, your friend group, your family back home with your grades or your employers, whatever it is. This is, this is essentially what we're doing on social media. It's a game of performing our identity, saying this is who I am to the world. Do you like me? And guys, the stats are in. This leads to exhaustion and depression. Constantly looking outside of ourselves and asking the world, who am I and is that good enough? Is, that, is it a good thing? Whoever the world is saying I am, is that, is that good? Is that valuable? This is, this is social media. Look at verse 40. It says, one of these two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he first found his own brother, Simon, and he said to him, hey, we've found the Messiah, which means the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. So this guy, Simon, at this time in his life, he's like an entrepreneurial fisherman. Okay, he's a young, he's a young man who's out to make a name for himself. He's very ambitious. He's got a bold personality, probably masking a deep insecurity. But he's got a fishing business. Like he's, he's trying to make something of himself in the world. But then his brother brings him to Jesus and then watch what happens. Jesus looks at him, looks at Simon, and he says something about his identity. He says, hey, you are Simon, the son of John. True, right? He names his dad's name, like this is your name, but what is, what is Jesus doing? And I wanna ask you, what, what do people say about you? What does your name mean out there in the world? When people say your name, you are blank, son of blank, what does it mean? What do you wish people would say about you? What do you want your name to mean in the world? What are you actively doing right now to your body, 
to your personality, to your resume, to your Instagram feed, to achieve this identity that you wish you had that the world would applaud? What do you want it to be? Next question, how's that going for you? How's it going for you? How exhausted and anxious are you because it's not working out? Or how arrogant are you because it is right now? Editing down your Instagram persona, the stress and the anxiety of trying to make a good first impression on people with your mask on right now outside, you feel this. How unsatisfied are you? I mean, you worked tirelessly in high school, right, just so that you could become the type of person that people would say, that is the type of person that gets to go to UW, right? Like, you worked so hard so that you could be that person, but guess what? Now you're here, and the cycle just starts again. You have to work tirelessly to become the type of person who fill in the blank. So can I just, like, lovingly tell you something tonight? You will never arrive. You're never going to arrive at that destination, that identity you're trying to achieve. You will never get there because when you do, you will be unsatisfied. All your striving will leave you exhausted and unsatisfied. Why? Why does it work like that? Why doesn't it work? Why is it that when we get to the top of the mountain, it leaves us saying, like, is this it? Guys, it's because you were never meant to achieve an identity for yourself. You were meant to receive one from your creator. You were never meant to have to achieve this name for yourself. You were actually supposed to be given a name from God, your father, your creator. And so watch this, verse 42. So Jesus looks at him and he says, You are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter, which means the rock. Okay, now this is crazy. Jesus just gave this dude a new name. And now listen, if, you, if we follow Peter, which we will for the rest of the gospel, like he's really anything but a rock during this. He's like a loose cannon at times, like just flying off the rails. He's also a coward at times. But Jesus in this moment is saying, no, I'm giving you a new name, a new story. You are the rock. Why? Because Jesus isn't making a statement about who he actually is right now, but who he would become. Because now he knows Jesus. Because now he's following Jesus. He gives him a new name, settling his identity. Listen to me, I'm going to say this. Settling his identity once and for all. Giving it to him as a gift that he just receives. And it's apart from his performance apart from his performance. He's saying, you matter because I say so. And surely if I have the power to create the universe with the power of my voice, I can give you a new name. I have the power to write a new story in your life. So for you, your name is Joey Freshman here tonight. Somebody, somebody out here's name is Joey Freshman. You're a freshman and your name is Joey. That is your name. What Jesus wants to say to you tonight is, no, your new name is Joey Freshman, follower of Jesus. Doesn't quite work like that today where we don't, he doesn't actually like give you like an actual new, you don't have to change your name. But listen, 
Joey Freshman, follower of Jesus. He wants to write a new name and give you a new identity and write a new story in your life. There's a song that we sing at Salt Company sometimes called Before the Throne of God Above. And it says this, it says, our names are graven on his hands. Our names are written on his heart. Our names, your name, your name, graven on his hands when he was crucified on the cross. What he was doing on the cross for you is he was purchasing a new identity for you, a new story for you with his blood. You don't have to achieve it, you just have to receive it. So if you've met Jesus, you've found the Messiah, the Savior, the one who can save you from tirelessly trying to earn a name that has already been written for you in heaven. Don't let a boy or a girl or a professor or your parents or this university tell you who you are. Let your creator do that for you. Follow him. All right, here's the last reason. Reason number three, why tonight you shouldn't leave this room without deciding that you're gonna follow Jesus for the rest of your life. It's this, he is the love that you've been waiting for. Jesus is, he's the one. He's the love that you've been waiting for your whole life. So let's just talk about dating just briefly. Guys, this is what dating is. If you got here and you were wondering like, what, what, how is this gonna work? What is dating? Dating, guys, is a constant interview to see if you are worthy of love. That's what it's become. It's a constant, you're constantly just interviewing to say like, am I good enough? Am I worthy? And some of you, you know this and you love this game. You're good at this game. Some of you have been burned by this game. And even to step out of relationships, maybe you've been burned by your parents when it comes to love and acceptance and affirmation and your worth. Maybe you've been burned by your friends, boyfriends, girlfriends. And when you get burned, you start to hold back, right? Maybe you even give up. You try to protect yourself from getting hurt again. We settle for shallow friendships. Guys, shallow friendships where all that we do is just make fun of each other. Just make digs at each other because we're so afraid to actually be fully known. Or girls, we settle for hooking up because we've been burned and we say, like, the love that I thought was maybe out there, it's just not there. The love that I've been waiting for, it's just not there, so I'm going to settle. Or maybe you just close yourself off from relationships altogether and you just stay in your room. But listen to me, the story of the Bible The story that this book tells, it has bad news in it and good news in it. And the bad news when it comes to love is that we will never find the love that we're looking for. Never. We won't. There's a resounding note in the Bible that says you will not find that love that you've been waiting for. The good news is that that love came down to find you. The love that you've been waiting for, you will not find it, but it actually came down to find you. Look at verse 43. It says the next day, Jesus, he decided to go to Galilee. He decided. He made a decision in his mind. He's God. And he said, I'm going to go to Galilee on purpose. Why? Well, he found Philip. He goes to Galilee looking for these guys, looking for these men, and later on in the story, looking for these women. And he says, follow me. And now Philip, he was from Bethesda, the city of Andrew and Peter. And then Philip, he found Nathanael and said to him, hey, we found him. We found the one, the one that we've been waiting for, the Messiah, the one that Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael, he said to him, Nathanael, he's, he's cynical. He's been burned. He says, can anything good 
come out of Nazareth? Probably a little prejudice in his voice. He's kind of looking down on the town, right? He's cynical. He's saying, there's nothing good can come from Nazareth. His sin just leaps out of his heart onto the page. And Philip's like, hey, hey, come and see. I, I promise, come and check this out. So then Jesus, he sees Nathanael coming toward him, and he says, behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. So Jesus, he's like half joking here, right? He's actually saying like the truth because what Nathaniel said was actually what he felt. He's like, yeah, this guy's a straight shooter, even though he just made fun of my hometown, right? Like, no, he's like, yeah, an Israelite. At least he's honest. But because he's Jesus, even his sarcasm just cuts straight to the heart. Look at this. Nathaniel looks up, chills down his spine, because of the way that Jesus looked at him and what he said, and he says this, how do, you, how do you know me? This is like the moment in the movie where like time stands still and it's just like, wait, what? How do you, how, how did you see into my heart like that? How did you see that about me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Jesus saw him. He saw him and he saw everything about him. And so Nathaniel, when he realizes he has been both fully known, fully seen, and then still pursued, he throws his hands up in the air and says, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Our deepest fear, that question, how do you know me? Deep down, our deepest fear is that we would be known, but not loved. That we would open ourselves up to someone, and they would actually see deep down into there, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and they would see us, and they would reject us. That we'd be known and not loved. And this is why so many of us are afraid to really open up and let our guard down with people, the fear that we'd be rejected. But Nathaniel, he is so struck that Jesus knows him Inside and out, he, know, he knows his sin. He knows his skepticism. He knows how he just made fun of his hometown. And then he moves towards him. And Nathaniel's not like looking at Jesus as a romantic interest here. It's not like he's like, oh, the love of my life. No, he found a leader for his life. He says, you're the Messiah. You're the king. You're the son of God. You are the one I've been waiting for. The one that everything else has been pointing to. I've been chosen. You, you're choosing me? Fully known and fully loved. Because this is the gospel. This is the heart of the message of the Bible. This is what the Bible is always saying. This is what the Bible is about. This is what we're going to talk about every week at Salt Company. Is that Jesus, he knows us at our worst. He knows everything about us. And he loves us. Fully known, yet fully loved. The message of the Bible is not prove yourself to God so that you would be worthy, but it's look at what Jesus did. Behold the Lamb of God. He has proved to you his love. He has proved himself to you. And so listen to me. Someone in here needs to hear this tonight. He sees you. He sees you. He knows you. He knows everything about you. The inside, the out. He knows your story. He knows what you did. He knows what you're ashamed of. 
He loves you. He has chosen you. He wants you to follow him. He wants to give you a new name and a new story. He wants you to follow him. And that's what this first group of friends did. And as we're going to see, they changed the world. The question on the table for us tonight is, will you? Will we? Let's look at how this conversation ends. Verse 49. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. As good as this is, as good as this news is, that God wants a relationship with you, what Jesus is saying, there's actually so much more. There are greater things yet to come than even just you coming back into relationship with God. And guys, that goes for this semester. As we look at this series, Conversations with Jesus throughout the Gospel of John, there are greater things yet to come. But also for the rest of your life, for the rest of your life of following him, the best can always be ahead of you. He is everything you've ever wanted, everything you've ever needed. And so here's just an invitation. Okay, if you are new to Salt Company, I can't answer all of your doubts and your questions tonight, but my invitation to you is the same as Jesus. Come and see. Be compelled by the Savior. We, we have found him. Actually, he has found us. That's what we have to offer. The only thing that's great about us is him, and we just point to him. And here's a challenge. Don't miss Jesus. Don't miss Jesus. If you miss Jesus, you missed everything. If you come here tonight and you miss Jesus, you missed it. If you come to college and you leave without walking with Jesus, you missed it. If you live your life and you don't come back into relationship with Jesus, you have missed the point for why you exist. You have missed living up to your identity. You've missed living the story that God wrote for you before the foundation of the world. He has found you tonight. He has walked into this room. He's spoken to you by his word. He has walked right in front of you. I'm just saying, behold the Lamb of God. There he is. It is on the table for you to choose to follow him. So let me pray for us now and give you a chance to talk to him and do just that. Let's pray. Jesus, you have called our name tonight. God, those of us that know you and have been saved by you, you have called us out again with your grace and says, I, I've chosen you. I love you. I know you. I see you. Keep following me. Greater things are yet to come. But God, for people that are in this room tonight that they are not yet following you, they don't know you, you have called out their name. And Lord, we just say together, as Salt Company, that we want to follow you. We want to follow you. We don't have all the answers. We don't know how this life is going to turn out, but we see you. We see the forgiveness that you offer, the healing that you offer for our souls and for this world. We see 
the new story that you want to write in our lives. And we want that story more than the broken stories of this world. And we see the love in your eyes for us. We see that you know us, God, and we believe that you love us. We want to follow you, Jesus. And so it's in your name that we pray.